Hi, I'm Matthew Kind. Every Monday, look for a fresh new episode where I'll take you behind the scenes and interview the insiders that are shaping the rapidly evolving cannabis industry. Learn more at cannainsider.com. That's C-A-N-N-A insider.com. Now here's your program. Is the market for CBD and THC products saturated, or is it just too much of the same products? Is it a matter of creating a unique product and achieving product market fit? Chris Abbott from Botanica is here today to help us answer these questions. Chris, welcome to Can Insider. Hi, Matt. It's great to be here. Thank you. Give us a sense of geography. Where are you in the world today? Yes, I'm on Bainbridge Island, which is a 35-minute ferry ride from downtown Seattle. Great. I've been to Bainbridge. It's a very nice little island. And what is Botanica on a high level? Yeah, so Botanica is, at a high level, it's, it's, a, it's a cannabis-branded consumer goods company, and we are focused on edibles. We have a house of brand strategy, and the way we think about it is we, we've got licenses in, um, in Seattle and Portland, Oregon. And so we incubate brands in the Pacific Northwest, and then once we feel like we've fully developed sort of the consumer proposition behind the brand and understand the growth drivers – then we begin to um, utilize a, a, a network of partnerships in other states to roll our brands into those states. Um, and, and the brands that we have in our portfolio are Mr. Moxie's, uh, Journeyman, and Spot. That's in a nutshell. Okay. Can you share a little bit about your background and journey and how you got into the cannabis space and started this company? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, this this thing, all oh, this journey really started with my co-founder, uh, Tim Moxie. He um, hit we went to business school together uh, back east uh, at Dartmouth Business School. And um, when cannabis legalized in Washington State, you, know, you will recall it legalized in California, uh, sorry, Colorado and, um, and Washington at the same time. Um, Tim came to me. I was pretty much the only other alumni that lived in Seattle at the time. And Tim came to me and said, Chris, we got to look into this. It's going to be big. And at first I thought, he's crazy. Cannabis? What is he talking about? Right? This was 2013. But uh, he started peppering me with uh, with articles, and and as we began to dive into it, it uh, you know the more we learned, the more it felt like, gosh, there is an amazing opportunity here. And um, you know, out of the gates, we focused on edibles, and sort of the the insight there was that um, you know for for cannabis to go mainstream, in our opinion, it would have to be. It done with something other than an inhalable product, because if you look at the trends, you know, 12 percent of the population smokes tobacco. And, OK, cannabis is is something different than tobacco. But smoking, it's a, I think it's a decent proxy for the percentage of the population that is comfortable or wants to smoke. But on the, uh, to juxtapose to the, against that is, um, you know, 70 percent of the population consumes alcohol. Right. So there's a big delta here. And cannabis was around 14% or is around 14% today. So our thesis was that is that for, you know, cannabis truly to go mainstream, it would, it would have to be on the backs of form factors like edibles um, to take us there. And that really um, that brands would, um, would be able to reach out to customers, hold their hands and really educate them as to what this new this new world was like, what, what cannabis was all about. And so for us, it was going to be all about edibles and all about branded edibles. And that's, that's how we got going. Okay. What was it like going to, uh, to Dartmouth, the school based on animal house? 
Was it like Animal House at all? <laughs> I know there's some wild rituals there. You guys have a huge bonfire in Hanover and like the center of the quad, right? Every September, is that what happens? Yeah. So, I mean, so we went to um, to Tuck Business School, which is right on Dartmouth's campus, but it's it's sort of on the outskirts of the campus. And there there's definitely a pretty deep divide between you know, sort of the college and the business school. And so uh, there were definitely people in our class that went to Dartmouth and had some connections sort of to the frat houses, but by and large, didn't spend a lot of time, um, you know, on the campus connected to sort of the the college. And it was, you know, mostly we were kind of in our own world. And I, I think that's one place Dartmouth really prides itself in is sort of on its networking. And it's got, it's, it's a fairly small class size relative to other business schools. And because you're isolated in, in Hanover, um, you just develop these really deep friendships um, with your classmates. And so it's sort of, I, we didn't have a lot of interaction with the, with the college kids. Okay. Now it was you, a great place to go to school though. I, yeah. <laughs> It's a beautiful town. And, you yeah. know, a lot of people don't even get that reference of Animal House anymore. And I'm like, wow, that's that's crazy. Like, that's not yeah. a cultural reference point anymore. But if, you're, if you've never seen it, check it out. It's a really funny movie. Yeah, okay, sure. so tell us a little bit more here about your products and your brands. Because you kind of go the way of not highlighting milligrams of active ingredients like CBD or THC. But you go a different route. Can you talk about what that is and why? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I think ultimately everything starts and ends with the consumer, right? And we believe that the consumer, it's not making, the consumer's not looking to make purely functional decisions. You know, they they want some emotion. They're, they um, are looking for choices that um, either jibe with their internal beliefs or, um, you know, they, they see something that they like or they, that tastes well, or that, you know, that goes with their internal compass. And so to think about a product as only, uh, the number of milligrams in it, you know, it, it feels like, um, you know, it's not really doing the category justice. I mean, to, to, to draw a corollary with alcohol, I mean, if you, if you were to go out and buy a, a, a bottle of whiskey, say a 750, you know, mil, a bottle of whiskey with at 80 proof, you could spend anywhere between $12 for at the low end to $200,000 at the high end, right? And that that entire market exists today. And um, it, you know, it feels like in the cannabis market, we haven't developed um, that broad a range, obviously. And there's a lot of people that are chasing sort of the current consumer. And now, obviously, we've got a win with the consumer today, but really always have an eye towards the next consumer that's going to come in, this 2.0 consumer, the consumer that is looking for brands, that's looking for an experience, it's looking for an, uh, an emotional connection. And that's really what we're trying to do with our brands, rather than trying to compete on just a, a price per milligram level. I'm always interested in how a founder describes the effect of their product and people are very curious what's this going to do to me after i take it how do you describe what a customer feels when they take uh, mr moxie's for example yeah so um you know one one thing that we've done is kind of gone out of our way to tell the customer right on the package exactly how they're going to feel and so we have um you know these mood states that are curated throughout the mr moxie's range and, you know, it's every, anywhere from energized to relax to relief or, or dream. Um, and uh, really the way we're driving those mood states is we incorporate 
um, herbs into each, um, each SKU and the herbs, um, you know, not only help us drive the mood state. So, um, you know, for, uh, dream, we have passion flower and valerian root and, you know, people that consume herbs on a regular basis understand that those help them with sleep. Um, and to think about cannabis as just another herb, um, that you can incorporate into your day, I think is, you know, is a really interesting way to approach cannabis and also understand how it, how it's going to feel or how it might affect your, your mood. Do you, do you notice any synergies when you start to put together these ingredients like valerian root? Do you say, wow, that has uh, even more impact than I would have guessed or it might the, the feeling is even, I'm even more drowsy if I, you know, want sleep or something like that. What was your kind of, as you were experimenting with these, with potions and everything to come up with the ideal, uh, you know, an ideal recipe, what, what did you experience? Yeah. So, I mean, we just, we just launched, um, uh, the sleep mint and, um, it, it took us a while to get there. Um, we did a lot of experimenting around a bunch of other isolated cannabinoids to see if we could drive sort of a more cannabinoid profile and ultimately ended up with herbs. And, um, you know, one thing that's really interesting about uh, being in the edible space is that you can give out your product non-infused without the active ingredient cannabis in it to people so they can try your product. Um, and, you know, it's obviously something that you can't do with an with a inhalation product. Um, and what we've seen with um, bud tenders with this new sleep product is we have these uninfused uh, sleep mints that we give out that have the valerian root in it and the passion flower. And we got this amazing feedback from bud tenders saying, we want more uninfused samples. They're helping us sleep at night with, without even the cannabis in it. So, hmm. you know, I think it, there is, you know, there's, there's something there and that it's, uh, I think it's, it's a, it's an interesting realm to be able to play in. Okay. So if you were to say the number one reason people are choosing a low dose option, like Mr. Moxie's, is it, do they frame it in their mind that they don't want to run away high or do they frame it in their mind that I want to do some other activity? Like, you know, those are, those questions are related, but in the prospect's mind, what are they thinking in your opinion? Yeah. So, um, the way we think about it is it's, um, it's all about choice and tailoring a product to their needs. Um, you know, cause we believe people want to experience what they want and that's what we give them with when you're playing at the low dose, um, end of the spectrum, you can have, you know, one mint or two mints or three mints. And really by enabling the consumer to be in control, um, you're allowing them to then, have the experience that they want and, and tailor it to their needs. I mean, when we got started in the industry, um, you know, there was this famous Maureen Dowd article that came out in the New York times. And it, and I think it summarized a lot of people's attitude around edibles, which was that edibles were out of control, right? It was this brownie experience that you had that someone mixed up some butter with a brownie and no one had any idea how potent it was. And, you know, maybe when you're in college or you were on the set of Animal House, that might have been a really fun thing to do. But, you know, our products are targeted towards, you know, working professionals, people that um, want to be in control and, and know that they have to you know, show up at the job next day or take care of their kids uh, later in the evening. And they want to be in control. And so we really wanted to turn this idea of edibles uh, that it's out of control really on its head and say, no, 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 wait, edibles are actually one of the best ways to um, maintain control and, and, and have a precise experience because we know exactly how many milligrams reach edible. 
And at the low end, if you have the low end, now you can say I could take one or two or three, and you really are able to tailor it to your own to your own experience. Okay, so let's talk about just specifically the Mint Enhance. So, if you're trying to take the edge off a little bit, Enhance kind of seems like something where you're trying to add a little bit. And do you anecdotally get feedback about what people do when they're taking this? Are they working, relaxing, playing a sport, hiking? What kind of feedback do you get there? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I think playing at the low end of the of the milligram range is really interesting because, at, at, you know, at its core, um, cannabis heightens your senses, right? And And that's really rich territory. It just... At the low end, it kind of makes you feel a little bit different. It makes you feel uh, it can help you be creative or uh, present. Um, so we'll get interesting feedback. Um, you know, it helps me be my best possible self with kids at bedtime. You know, at the end of the day, when you're all stretched out, you're just trying to get the kids in bed. It just allows you to be a little bit more present and be there, um, more creative at work, um, enjoy a, a bike ride. Uh, it's, you know, I think that. At the low end of the dosing range, there's a whole world there to be experienced that um, that that we're we're getting constant feedback from consumers on how they're trying it and how they're using it, and a lot of it dovetails with the experience that we broadcast sort of on the front of the tin, which you know relays back to the herbs about when when that use state might be. Okay, so there's a lot of startups that have or are trying to start products with THC or CBD in there. And if they create a me too product, there's not, they're not likely to take off, but if they can carve out a specific niche in their prospects mind, a lot of times if they're priced right and get distribution, they can have success. But on your journey, have you made any mistakes that you can share or talk about that, you know, you wish you didn't do, but you learn from? Yeah, yeah, tons. Um, you know, I think g- given cannabis is, I mean, a brand new uh, industry, brand new category. Um, you know, I think if you're not making mistakes in this industry, you're not learning. And if you're not learning, you're not growing. Um, so I'm really proud of <laughs> the mistakes we've made, which are, which are many. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, one, when we, when we first launched, uh, we launched with a brownie. Um, and the whole, you know, we were taking all this risk of jumping into the cannabis space. I mean, when we first did it, I, I was scared to tell my mom what I was doing. You know, it just felt, you know, it felt like you were committing career suicide almost by starting a cannabis business back in 2014. Um, so we thought, hey, let's let's do it. Like, you know, pot brownie. You're like, what's more traditional than that? We're not taking much risk. We put the pot brownie on, on the shelf. It will sell. But we, you know, back in the day, we were really into low dose and, and, and continue to be that way. And wanted to, we wanted to have a product, release a product that our friends would enjoy. Uh, and that we would enjoy. And then someone would try and say, hey, that's really nice. I'll, I'll tell my friend about that. So we launched with a five milligram uh, brownie. And um, the real learning there was that, um, A, brownies are not very difficult to make, right? So um, incredible competition uh, would come in and in, into baked goods. But I think the, the real learning was that um, it, it, to play at the low end, on the low end of the dosing range, you need to have something that um, you can have multiple of because there it's, you don't always want to have the lowest dose. You want to be able to, like I what we talked about earlier, sort of tell your experience. And that can be kind of difficult with a brownie, right? How many brownies can you eat in a sitting? You know, um, right. I can eat quite a so, lot. 
Oh, can you? <laughs> yeah, you say you said you you can't if you're not learning, you're not growing. But sometimes I eat brownies and I just grow, and I don't you're learn from my mistakes. I'm just learning. I'm getting <laughs> I'm getting wider. Yeah, we found that um, you know having uh, you know that's kind of how Mr. Moxie's was born um, was this idea that it's a you know very low calorie, um, it's a small format, and um, you 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 could have multiple of them without worrying about you know, your waistline, I guess. And it took us about a year to develop, um, the product. And, um, you know, in that time, the, the spot brand did very well cause we were in market and, you know, things were going, but, um, you know, to give you an idea that, that brownie today, we don't even sell brownies anymore. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we've discontinued that entire product. Um, and baked goods now is if you look at the categories, it's a very small percentage of the, the edible market. Yeah. It really did start out strong and it's kind of faded. Do you think it's because all the challenges around keeping baked goods fresh and stable and so forth? Yeah, that is a huge factor. I mean, we, you know, our big thing was to have it taste really, really good and then have the experience be very consistent out the back end. And we thought if we could do that, um, you know, we had something. And when you try, you know, we'd have these brownies and you'd make them and you, and then you'd try them and man, out of the, out of the oven, they tasted amazing. Like we were like, wow, we're going to kill it. This, these are the, the best tasting brownies ever. But man, when you open that brownie, even three weeks later, it's a different product, right? And it's very, very hard to create a super delectable, delicious brownie that sits on the shelf, you know, and tastes that way three weeks later. And three weeks is nothing, right? In shelf space time. So much less three months later. Now you have kind of a unique way of doing things. You're doing all your manufacturing in house because you have a unique way of making your mints. Can you talk about the process and how it's different than typical mints are made? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so you know, it's very much an artisanal process, um, and as you would expect with sort of a, a sort of a British oriented brand, um, everything starts with a tea. Uh, so we we take. Um, the herbs that we've, we've spoken about and, um, we mix them with water and, and create a tea that then is the liquid that we mix with sugar to create a dough. Um, and that dough is kneaded, um, and then sheeted, uh, to get the, the, the perfect, um, width. And then we hand punch it, um, through a, a custom machine that we built to do this, um, to create the mints. And then after that, they're, they're air dried at just the right temperature and then ultimately packaged, um, and then, and then ready for the store. So it's this, um, dough based mint, which are, you know, quite unique in the market. Um, and the, the, what it allows is a really nice consistency. What we found out early days, uh, Tim and I were trying these things. We'd, we'd have all these, uh, test cases and I try one and I'd say, yep, this is, you know, I try these five and I'd say, this one is the one, this is, this one tastes perfect. And he, he'd come out with the total opposite one. He'd say, no, this, this is the perfect one. And I said, well, what is going on here? And it turned out he sucks. He'd like to suck his mints and take, you know, a while and it would stay in his mouth. And which is really interesting from a cannabis standpoint, because if you suck the mint, you can actually get um, you know, begin to feel the effects, um, through sublingual, whereas I like, I just crunched mine and, and consumed them. Um, and so, uh, uh, when we were developing this dough, what we wanted was this perfect consistency, something that you could, was very crunchy, but also if you were to suck, it would last in your mouth such that you could get this sublingual effect. And, um, and that's what we have with, uh, with that product. Okay. So we have suckers and we have biters. If someone just jumped to this point in the podcast, <laughs> they're like, what the hell are these guys talking about? But so do you know, are, are people broke down the line there about 50, 50 or what is it? Well, it's, it's interesting when you talk to the bud tenders, they'll often tell people to, um, to eat one and then suck one. 
um, so that you you get that sublingual effect right away. And then if you you know later in, as a, as your digestion tract begins to kick in, you get you get the feeling from the second one. So, um, but yeah, I, I actually don't know what the statistics are around <laughs> suckers versus eaters, but um, but I know they're they're both a great way to enjoy our mints. What about getting your brand into distribution and onto retailers' shelves? Is that tricky? How did you go about that? Anything you can share there? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, um, you know, it really all starts with the consumer. Um, and I think, you know, as we're developing our products, we're trying to really dive into consumer insights to figure out what does the consumer want? What will be successful with consumers? And if you can create a product um, that hits on that cylinder, then then it's really easy to convince, not really easy, but it's easier to convince, um, I guess, a distributor or a retail partner to take it on. Um, and I think, you know, what we've done is sort of curate these mood states where you're, you're um, and then this ability to tailor your experience. And that's quite different. Most of the other competitors in the, in the market have sort of run towards whatever the maximum milligram um, is per, per, per unit you could do. That's kind of where everyone ran to. Um, so I think it's, you know, it starts with kind of, kind of creating something unique that's really driven from consumer insight. And then, um, the second piece of it is really creating a partnership, um, with the retailer. I mean, ultimately the retailer is going to take your product in because they believe they're going to be successful and they believe it's going to be a prop- profitable endeavor for them. And so, you know, having a product with higher margins and not pricing on price per milligram, it, being able to carry higher margins on your product is amazing for the retailer as well. So really um, figuring out a way to partner with the retailer such that we're able to educate the bud tenders and have great point of sale display, you know, really showcase the product such that it becomes very shoppable for the consumer. Um, having that all dialed in and you being able to deliver that to the partner, um, I think really helps you get into to the, to the retail stores um, that you want to be in and, the, and that are likely to be successful for the product that you're, that you're marketing. How do you get the butt tenders to care about your product? I mean, they've got so many products they need to know about, different brands coming in and talking to them all the time. Anything you can share there to make your product relevant? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, we've, in a, in a world with cannabis being federally illegal and advertising being, you know, very, very difficult, obviously those channels are, are very, are largely shut down and also, you know, potentially prohibit, prohibitively expensive if you're just operating in one or two states. Um, so we've, we really over indexed on packaging, um, to really tell the story and created packaging that, you know, uh, we have a tin, um, for the, for the Mr. Moxie's brand. So the, the tin, I think, is a very, um, uh, relatable, uh, a package that people can understand. And it's, you know, it's, it's, you, you've seen tins before and, and you can understand what the product is by just by looking at the tin. But then we overlay, um, uh, a, a tamper strip on the outside that has this really nice touch and feel to it. And then relays all the information about what's actually in the package. Um, so, and then within the tin, once you open up the tin, there's a whole experience. Um, there's a, a liner paper inside the tin, which kind of does two things. Once it, it had, there's some indication there on how these, how the experience might go as far as, you know, it probably takes about 40 to 45 minutes before it'll kick in. So some guidance to the customer and the consumer around how to, how to consume our product. But as well as we, we have a, an insert card in, in every tin that 
greets the customer and tells them about our product and what's going on. And I think when you put these products into bud tenders' hands and then you you create great point of sale display to wrap around that, such that you can the, the bud tender quickly sees that hey, there's a lot of care and attention to detail that's gone into this product. This is something special, and that that's that really comes across in the packaging and the point of display. And then if you can take the time to build those relationships in the stores, whereby you're educating the bud tenders as to why your product's special, I mean, I think those efforts really go a long way. Um, that, but it is a lot of effort because there's, you know, bud tenders, um, there's a pretty high churn in the industry with bud tenders coming and going. So it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a big endeavor to go out and educate bud tenders and stay on top of that. And that's, I think what's nice about having really nice packaging. It's it, that's, it's sitting on the shelf. It's talking to consumers and as the bud tenders come in and out there, obviously they're, it, the packaging is there and speaks for itself. So What's the thought process around extracting oil that goes into the mints? I'm imagining you buy oil from, you know, partners. And what do you look for in the oil? Do you want to maintain terpenes? What What are your your thoughts around that? Yeah, yeah. So we use um, CO2 oil for for the Mr. Moxie's brand, and you know, for us, uh, it, it starts with sort of having partners that that grow um, cannabis. But organically, you know, so, um, and pesticides are depending on the state where you're in. I mean, in Oregon, they have incredibly, um, uh, difficult, uh, and, and I think really good rules around, um, around pesticides such that really there isn't much product in the market that has pesticides in it. Washington state, on the other hand, I think California too, really, it's not as well tested and it, um, you know, I think there are people that are using pesticides, but it's very hard to know. So we go out of our way to make sure that we have, we're getting organic source material that doesn't have pesticides in it. Um, on, on the, uh, on the terpene side, you know, as we go through the CO2 process, we, you know, obviously there's a lot of terpenes that are lost during that process and the terpenes, today aren't as important to us. I mean, it's, it, 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 I think the science is very early here on how terpenes play when you're ingesting something, um, like an edible. I mean, it's, it's much more um, built out on how terpenes, um, work when you're inhaling, uh, cannabis, but not so much on the, um, on the consumption front. So, um, you know, when you smell our mint, it's going to smell minty <laughs> or it's going to smell like, like cinnamon, um, you won't get a terpene experience. But I'm hoping, and I think this could be a really rich area for exploration, you know, over time as the science develops as to how terpenes might play a role um, in ingestion. But today, it, it's really not a focus of ours. And what other kind of discrete and low dose edibles do you think we'll see in the coming years that we don't see now? Yeah. So if, if I go back to the intro, one of the things you said was, you know, are we, are we at saturation? You know, what's going on? Are there too many products in the market? And, you know, I think we're just a blink of the eye into this. You know, I think the industry is brand new and, and cannabis is really unique in that it can be, I mean, alcohol, you, you drink alcohol, that's it. That's the, you know, pretty much the only way you can consume alcohol is by drinking it. Whereas cannabis, my gosh, there's, just, yeah, every almost every form factor you can think of, you can consume cannabis. So, you know, I think there's, I think we are just getting started. And if you look at sort of, I mean, look, once again, look back to alcohol, you know, during the prohibition era, all there was, was, you know, basically grain alcohol. You bought it, 
because it was illegal, you bought it in its most potent form, right? Because all the risk was around that transaction. When you actually purchased it from that person, that was when you could get busted. So you wanted to buy it in its most potent form and then bring it back. And then when you consumed it, probably consume it really quickly in its most potent form. And as those laws relaxed, well, then you no longer had to you know, suffer with um, grain alcohol and you could begin to experiment with alcohol in more palatable versions. So, you know, obviously that's, I mean, beer is what, 5%? Uh, I mean, I guess some of these microbrew beers are more than that, but a Budweiser is a, probably about 5%, which is very, very low. You know, I would equate to like a low dose edible. And I mean, even beer now has become, it would kind of gone past that to these uh, alcoholic seltzers. Uh, those have just taken the world by storm over the last year. So you're still seeing incredible innovation in alcohol with a very tight set of consumption ability, which is sort of drinking. So I, I think that there's a, there's an incredible opportunity in edibles and that um, we'll see, you know, a lot, a lot of really interesting things are, are on the come. And from a, from a use case, you know, we've been really focused at first on um, how do we, create products that will integrate into people's everyday, into their everyday rituals. Um, and it, so it's a very personal product. And I think that that is where Mr. Moxie succeeds really well. It's, it's something that, you know, I don't, I don't think there's lots of people cheersing Mr. Moxie's mints today. It's more of a product that you would take on your own terms, you know, in your own time. Um, but with that said, I think there, you know, one of the next big frontiers will be products that fit into social situations. Um, you, you know, Times when you'll products that are specifically um, developed to be had with friends, um, and that that's been really really tricky with cannabis because um, there are no, I mean, for the most part, there are really no consumption lounges, or or if there are, there um, there's only a few of them, and they're really focused towards inhalation. I think today, so you know, I think as as the uh, industry develops. Um, there's tons of opportunity, and uh, and uh, especially I think um, there, there'll be a big opportunity around socialization. Okay, and where are you in the capital raising process? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for asking that question. Um, I feel I feel like cannabis is uh, you know this industry that's always starved for capital, um, and uh, you know we are um, right now we are not raising cash. Um, we've been really focused on getting to profitability. And have achieved that. We've made some pretty big cuts um, at the end of last year to just tighten our belts and really get focused. Um, and so we're on a path to break even. In fact, we broke even the last couple of months. Um, and to build sort of a more sustainable business, um, albeit a slower growth business. Um, and so once we've achieved that, um, you know, we're really thinking about raising uh, growth capital that we can then add to, uh, you know, add to what we have now, um, on a sustainable basis to really, um, to, to take the top line up. And I think one of the, the biggest areas that we're interested in is, um, on the CBD side, we have, you know, we, we play both on the THC side and the CBD side with the Mr. Moxie's brand and have found that, you know, it's really interesting on direct to consumer, um, in our limited experiments, we've we've seen a real uptake in the states where our THC brand already exists. You see great usage for our CBD brand. So um, we'd like to. We're looking at um, sort of around the summer, maybe early fall, um, going out to raise our, our our Series B. We'll be looking to raise between five and ten million, and I think a decent portion of that will go to to fund the CBD side of the business for our direct to consumer play. Okay. 
Well, Chris, I'd like to ask some personal development questions now to help listeners get a better sense of who you are personally. With that, is there a book that's had a big impact on your life or your way of thinking that you'd like to share? Yes. Um, you know, it's interesting with um, the virus uh, going around. Obviously, we're all kind of shut up in our homes. And um, I'm a huge uh, – we, we we love the public library. So, I, you know, and with that shut down, I've been – I've turned back to my small personal library. And there's this book that um, I've read several times and I started reading again um, recently, which is called The Art of Learning. And it's by this guy named Josh Watskin. And he was, um, his, it's, he was um, an eight times national chess champion um, and burned out and took up Tai Chi and then went on to become uh, a martial arts world champion. Now, I'm not uh, a big chess player or do I do any martial arts. And, but what's so fascinating about this book and I think why it has had a really big impact on me is he, like the title, he really, he, he's super into learning and how. The sort of the building blocks of how you learn something to be, to really become a master. And think about that with someone who could be, be um, you know, so, so, so cerebral and non-physical as a chess master to then turn that around and become, you know, martial, martial arts expert is, is quite an extreme um, transition. And, um, and so he, he has this amazing way of describing um, the learning process, and it really gets back to this really um, understanding the fundamentals of anything that you're studying. And if you can master the fundamentals, um, then those fundamentals basically become inherent in your thinking. And then you can move past thinking about the fundamentals but incorporate those fundamentals to, to create new avenues of exploration and new ways of, uh, uh, of thinking, really. Um, and... You know, I uh, as a person, I'm just um, insatiably curious, and I, I love to learn. And I think, you know, as it relates to the cannabis industry, that's it. It's been one of the, you know, amazing things about this about the industry about getting involved with it is that it's just it's a never ending uh, process around learning, and it's you know it's it's that makes it incredibly difficult on some levels. I mean, given the patchwork quilt we have around. Uh, regulation in every state. I mean, we have different competitors in every state we go to. There's different uh, regulations around um, dosing and you, know, you name it, packaging. Um, so, you know, and then on top of that, to you know, obviously be successful with a business, you've got to understand marketing and sales and manufacturing and, you know, um, culture. How do you, um, how do you uh, incentivize your people to to, to do their best. Um, so I've had to learn so much. And, and this book, you know, by, was really um, come into my thinking a lot. And, and just recently, it's, it's kind of been a pleasure to pick up and, and begin reading. And I, every time I read it, I kind of, I learn more about learning, which is, uh, which is kind of cool. What's the most interesting thing going on in your field apart from what you do? Yeah. So, um, you know, as someone who's, intensely interested in in brands and interactions with consumers um you know i think the the shopping experience is something that's under great change right now and i think it's it's really exciting um the uh and I, really my eyes are on california um you know MedMen with their sort of open style foot footprint in the store um and the ability to go up and actually grab a product off the shelf and read the back you know, of, of the package has, um, I think really opened up the industry to, to a brand new set of consumers. And, you know, we're seeing, um, other retailers 
take that model and make it their own, like Harborside. Um, you know, talking with the folks at Harborside, they went from sort of this that's that that model where you had to go up to the counter and talk to the bud tender and learn all about the product through this this third person. When they changed their floor to be actually something where you grabbed a you know a little cart or a little basket on your way into the store, and then you could browse the shelves and pick up products and put them in your basket and then check out. I think they said something like um, their first Friday that they changed their store layout was bigger than any 420 they'd ever had um, wow. in their store. And I, you know, for me, this is as I talked about that blink of the eye and this this idea of um, going mainstream. We're, we're just not even close to being mainstream yet. And the, the consumer experience in the store, I think, is a big a big piece of that. The consumer is dying to understand what. It, what is cannabis all about? How is it going to make me feel? What what are these products? And the more that they can have interactions with the products, I think uh, the, the the better off that they'll feel about buying them. And so, both from the way retailers are beginning to orient, and I think it's, you know especially in California with this sort of ability to actually shop it by touching it, as well as uh, the delivery services that are being developed um, in California, whereby. Um, you know, we work really closely with Caliva. They are our partner in California. They, they manufacture our um, Mr. Moxies for us, and they sell and distribute it for us. They're investing a ton of money into into delivery systems, and you know, so they'll they'll they're creating a, a home page for Mr. Moxies, whereby the customer can go to the Caliva website, um, but they can go within within the Caliva website, go to the Mr. Moxies page, and learn all about our brand. And I, you know, I think. That, I think this, you know, the the more access the customer has to like really educate and learn about what is going on here, the more, you know, the more likely it is to, 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 to go mainstream. And so, yeah, for me, it's just really all about that, that shopping experience and that, that development that we see going on at a very rapid pace right now. And what's one thought that you have that most people would disagree with you on? Mm, yeah. So, <laughs> Uh, my, my, I, I think, um, the hard way is the right way. And, and my, uh, my co-founder Tim is going to laugh when he hears this because he's always saying, Chris, you love the hard way. Um, and, and it's somewhat counterintuitive. I mean, we're in a, um, we're in a culture right now. I mean, Amazon, it, it makes things, everything so easy. Right. Um, and, but there's something about doing things the hard way, um, and, and developing something that, that takes a long time that actually then you're able to stand the test of time. Um, and I, I've got a couple of examples in my life where I've, ha- I've chosen the hard way and it, it felt like I was crazy and people around me said I was crazy, but you know, it worked out really well for me, which, you know, when I graduated from Tuck business school, um, you know, 70% of my class, uh, took jobs where the, uh, the business came and did interviews on, on campus, right? It was very easy or not very easy, but it was, it was right there for the taking. So 70% of my class went to work for either a consulting company or, or an investment bank. And I just, I had it in my head. I really wanted to do something different. I'd worked in investment banking and, and I just wasn't interested in consulting because I wanted to be able to make decisions rather than coax decisions. And so I went, I really wanted to be an investor. And so I had to do all my networking off campus. And, um, at that, that time was right about the time when, this is 2001, to just to date myself here. Um, the economy was in pretty bad shape, but um, there were uh, the hedge funds had done quite well through the downturn, and so the hedge funds were hiring. So I I got a job through networking, and um, you know 
fast forward five years, you know, hedge funds became one of these places where everybody wanted to work. And I had all my classmates calling me to say, Hey, what, how did you, what are you doing there? How is it? What's going on? And I think, you know, by taking sort of the, the path less traveled, I was able to find, uh, you know, an opportunity that where I could, you know, do something and really accelerate, um, versus a lot of my classmates that were doing something that was, was a bit easier to, to do. And I think the same can be said for, for cannabis. I mean, you know, we were talking about when we first started it, it was so scary, so, so scary. But the, it, it, you know, if you thought about what it could be, and I think as we're beginning to see what it is today, there's just this incredible opportunity to, to, to develop something um, and, and do something. And at the time, it was you know, very much off the beaten path to go do it. Um, and it, you know, it feels like now that I've got six years um, under my belt in the cannabis experience, I can honestly say I feel like I'm just getting my feet underneath me. Um, it, it is such a wild industry and, and one that needs so much time in to really understand it and excel in it that I feel really lucky to have gotten the start that I've gotten. Chris, as we close, let listeners know how they can find your mints and also for accredited investors, how they can reach out to you for your series B. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Um, so our, uh, our Mr. Moxie's on the, on the THC side is available in, in Washington state, in Oregon, uh, in California. And we just launched in Massachusetts with our partner, uh, Revolution A Clinics on 420. Uh, nice, nice day to start. Um, and then we also have a, a line of CBD products, um, that's available online. It can be purchased anywhere um, in the country. Um, and you can find that at mrmoxies.com, M-R-M-O-X-E-Y-S.com. And then, yeah, please reach out to me if you're interested. Um, Chris at botanicaglobal.com, B-O-T-A-N-I-C-A-G-L-O-B-A-L.com. Botanicaglobal.com. That's what you said, right? That's it. Okay. Yes. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it and good luck in the rest of uh, 2020. Awesome, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed the show today, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever app you might be using to listen to the show. Every five-star review helps us to bring the best guests to you. Learn more at cannainsider.com forward slash iTunes. What are the five disruptive trends that will impact the cannabis industry in the next five years? Find out with your free report at cannainsider.com forward slash trends. Have a suggestion for an awesome guest on Canna Insider? Simply send us an email at feedback at cannainsider.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please do not take any information from Canna Insider or its guests as medical advice. Contact your licensed physician before taking cannabis or using it for medical treatments. Promotional consideration may be provided by select guests, advertisers, or companies featured in Canna Insider. Lastly, the host or guests on Canna Insider may or may not invest in the companies or entrepreneurs profiled on the show. Please consult your licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Final disclosure to see if you're still paying attention. This little whistle jingle you're listening to will get stuck in your head for the rest of the day. <laughs> Thanks for listening and look for another Canon Insider episode soon. Take care. Bye-bye.